here. First uh, Peter chapter two, first Peter uh, chapter two and verse six. I want to read through verse. Uh, oh, let's see. Verse 10. First Peter chapter two and verse six. It says, wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which had in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Titus chapter 2, 11, verse 15, or verses 11 through 15 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the moment that you saved me. That day in May of 1995 when I put my trust in you and you came to be my personal savior. I'm so thankful for what you did at Calvary, Lord. That you would send your son to die on the cross and to rise again three days later that we might be saved. That, Lord, we might be your people, a peculiar people who in times past were not a people but are now the people of God. Lord, I pray that our lives would manifest that we are a people of God. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. To be a people of God, I love verse 10, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It isn't a wonderful thing to be the people of God, isn't it? To be saved, to know that heaven is your home, but more than that, that you are a child of God. Boy, heaven is is the side benefit of being a child of God, if you will. The Lord came that we might know him, that we might know him first of all. As a result of knowing him and becoming his child, we became joint heirs of the Lord and heaven became our destination. It is one of the benefits of being a child of God. But the point was the restoration of a relationship with the Lord. Both of these passages of scripture that I I look to tonight mentions this fact of being a, a peculiar people. A people that are, if you will, a purchased people, a called out people, a people that resemble the Lord Jesus Christ. We use the word, the word Christian, if you will, to say Christ-like. And the scripture uses the word disciple as a follower of the Lord. But God calls us, if you will, to be a, a peculiar people, not an odd person, not a weird person. Though you may at times be, uh, be uh, designated as that if you're a child of God. But, and I'll tell you what, in our world, it's okay to be a little weird. Being right has often led to being weird in our, our culture. It seems the weird outside of that is becoming the norm. They're calling good evil and evil good. And Yet God calls us to live right and to live holy for the Lord. I, I want to be in several different places of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I have six points, which is out of the norm. And of the six points, I could make each one of them an individual message or Sunday school lesson. But I am given a broad overview tonight, if I can. And, and I want to be in several different places of the Scripture, which is maybe a little bit out of the norm for me. But, but six traits, if you would, is the title of the commandments or the message or six commitments of a peculiar people. Six commitments of a peculiar people. Some things have a lifelong impact. You ever make a decision in your life that changed the course of your life? And many times, maybe it was the wrong kind of commitment. Others were a good commitment, but it, 
it changed the course of your life. Not, only, not just in the direct area that you committed to, but it have an overarching aspect on the rest of your life. And I want to look at six commitments that I think of a peculiar person that when we make them, that they just shape a lot of things in our life. And some of them are very basic and very simple. As a matter of fact, all of them are. And hopefully tonight, maybe I'm preaching a little bit to the choir. But I think things that will change our life. And the first one I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12, if you would. Romans chapter 12. You probably know exactly where I'm going tonight. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It's a, commit, a commitment of yourself, a commitment of yourself from Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. He says here in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A commitment of ourselves to the Lord. I think it is oftentimes, not just a one-time decision, but a daily decision to be surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. To make a decision in our life that I am His and I belong to Him. Paul would say this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why is it so reasonable for us to make our life a living sacrifice? The reason is because he gave his life for us. We gave our, our, his life for us. He laid down his life at Calvary and he purchased us with his precious blood and our lives are lo- belong to him. I, I think of the scripture uh, where he said in Corinthians, he said, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God and ye are not your own for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's bought with a price. I love one of my favorite hymns. Someone in social media asked recently, what are your favorite hymns? And give me three. And some of my top three vary a little bit. Some of them remain the same. Blessed Assurance. I love Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I love that one. He lives. I love to sing He lives. One of them we sang tonight, Living for Jesus. Living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please Him in all that I do. It is a reminder to me that my life is His. That what he did for Calvary in the moment I put my trust in him, that my life was no longer my own. We belong to him. You know, a decision that will change your life is when you commit and surrender your life to him. When it just becomes a matter of fact that whatever he asks, we do. Wherever he, whatever he commands, we follow. Whatever he teaches me in his word, we say, yes, I love the song. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That we make the simple decision to just trust God and obey his every command and instruction in our life. To surrender. Boy, it's the first, one of the first steps to knowing the will of God. To make my life, to surrender my life to him. I've heard many people talk recently about how it seems so few people are surrendering themselves to the ministry. And it's true. I wonder if the reason so few surrender to the ministry is because so few are surrendered at all. See, not everybody is meant to be in the ministry, but everybody is meant to be surrendered to God. Have every part of their life say, Lord, here is my life. You've purchased me with your shed blood. I just want you to know my life is yours. 
my son Samuel, a few, when Brother Garraway was here and preaching, he was, he was preaching, and my son got up, and he asked, he was, he, at the invitation time, he said, Dad, can I go out real quick? And he, you could tell he was getting pretty emotional, and he went out to the restroom, and I followed him out there real quick, and he went back, and I went back, and I talked to him. He said, Dad, I have never dedicated my life to the Lord. And he was crying, I've never dedicated my life to the Lord. And I said, Son, do you want to dedicate your life to the Lord? He said, Yes, sir, I do. So we came back in the room, and he came down here and knelt here, and he dedicated his life to the Lord. And he's 11 years old. Friend, it is the most important decision of your life, not only to keep at the age of 11, but to keep every day of your life, to say, my life, Lord, is yours. It is a decision that affects every area of life. It it, 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 makes, it, it eliminates so many struggles and so many battles when we just say, Lord, you show me in your word, you give me the direction of my life, and the decision is already made because my life is yours. Have you surrendered your life? Have you just said, Lord, whatever you have for me, I will follow you? It requires trust, doesn't it? Sometimes we are nervous to surrender to the Lord because we're afraid of what he might ask. I tell you something, if you surrender to the Lord and you follow whatever he asks, you will find out there was no better decision in your life than that one outside of salvation. To just simply say, Lord, I am surrendered. To commit that, that life of surrender that, that brings to the committing of ourselves, that brings se- se- surrender and separation unto the Lord. I love 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 21. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord na- knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. A life that is surrendered, a committal of ourselves to be surrendered and separated unto the Lord. Does your life is it not only just separated from sin, but separated unto God. See, the greater decision isn't just what I'm leaving off, but what I am picking up. Matter of fact, when you focus on what you're picking up, you're going to have to leave something off. Vessel unto honor, meet for the master's use. It would do us well to just say, Lord, if it's sinful, I want no part of it. If it doesn't bring honor and glory to your name, I, I want no part of it. My life is yours. I'm surrendered to you. I'm separated unto you. And I'm separated from the things of this world. I belong to Christ. We don't belong to the world. The last time you just recognize, Lord, I, I don't belong to this world. I don't belong to it. If it's sinful... I'm getting away from it. We don't ask how sinful. We just see it's sinful. We don't ask how bad. We just know it's not right. And because we belong to the Lord, we've surrendered ourselves to the Lord, we flee the evil and we run to the good because we recognize I'm a vessel, meet for the master's use. I've been set aside to that which is honorable. Well, we know this. I've used it before, but there are some things in my home, some dishes in my home that don't go on the table. My dog eats out of a five-gallon bucket, all right? A big dog. We just fill that bucket up, and when it's empty, we put more in, right? But I don't, I don't want to come t- tonight or tomorrow morning and find my cereal in his bucket, right? I don't want it. There's this red bowl, the infamous red bowl in our house. 
Everybody has one, it really. It may not be red, but it's the one when one of the kids say, I'm not feeling good. Get the Red Bull, all right? Get the Red Bull. Get the big Red Bull, all right? And don't you dare bring salad in it for the next meal, all right? Or we're all going to need the Red Bull, all right? Flashbacks. But it's not for anything else. It's, it's, it's not the one that you want to see come out at Thanksgiving meal, is it? Because it's not for those times. Christian, we've been set aside, set apart. We are not to belong to this world. We've been separated. We're to be surrendered to the Lord and separated in the Lord. And there are some things in some places and things that we do not do because of who we belong to. We're losing that in our culture. We're losing that in this world. Many times folks are trying to walk as closely as they can to it rather than fleeing from it. And somehow that if you walk up to it, it'll somehow help you reach this world. I, I, would, I would argue the different. I would say that when you turn to the scripture, those who stood out most from the world were those that were most different from the world. John the Baptist, Elijah, Elisa, Jesus. Different. Surrendered, separated. I, I think one of the great decisions of your life is to surrender to the Lord. I I think here's another simple one, but commit not only yourself to the Lord, but commit to a daily walk with God. Seems so simple, but it's a life-altering decision. Those verses we read a minute ago, 1 Peter 2, 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal what? Priesthood. One of the things that define us, that we would say, why are you a Baptist? We would say we believe in the priesthood of the believer. Matthews 27, 50 through 51 says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks, what? Rent. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The priesthood of the believer, it is this fact that you can go to the throne of God. That you can enter into the courts of heaven. Not only that, but we have a seat in the heavenlies. The reason we can say, I can come boldly before the throne is because when we come before the throne, we belong there because of what Jesus has done for us. That I can open up the pages of Scripture and the Holy Spirit of God can speak to my heart. That I can bend the knee and my God hears from me in prayer. That I have direct access to the Lord. I don't need another mediator than the man Christ Jesus and what he did for me at Calvary. It bothers me so, so many times that you have to argue into someone, why walk with God daily in his word? Well, my friend, why would you not walk before the one who has done so much to give you the incredible privilege of being able to walk with him? It is a life-changing decision. When you make the decision so simply made to just walk with God on a daily basis until, unless you are providentially hindered from walking with God. You know what God did to give you that access? Have you considered what God has done to give you the wonderful privilege of entering into his throne of grace? He left heaven. He left heaven, was born in a dirty manger in Bethlehem to leave the courts of heaven to be born in a, in a cave more than likely on some hillside in Bethlehem to grow up in a poor carpenter's home whose family had to flee for their life as Herod would seek to kill them. To grow up in that carpenter's home, to begin his earthly ministry and to be betrayed by Judas, one of his own. That kiss of betrayal and the cat of nine tails, the nails through his hands and through his feet. 
beaten until he was unrecognizable as a man. To endure the cross. To give up the ghost. To die in our place. To rise again three days later. Not just so that you could have the incredible privilege of walking on streets of gold one day. But that you might commune with him. That you might commune with him. That you might have access to him. You might have a relationship with the Lord. It is a life-changing decision when we decide, I will walk with God on a daily basis. I will read his word. I will study his word. I will meditate in his word. I will spend time in prayer. Watch the course of your life change. Watch the the Lord work in your life like he never has before. So many Christians miss out on the incredible privilege of it because they're too busy And it is unnecessary. It is unnecessary to your salvation. But it's incredibly necessary to your spiritual walk. To commit. To a daily walk with the Lord. And I I think of this, I think just the importance of making that decision that I will walk with God daily. I'll hear our young people when they come back from camp and they'll make a commitment. I hear the commitment. I The Lord spoke to my heart and I've decided I'm going to walk with God every day. And we think, what a small decision. No, what a big decision. I would say it's probably one of the standout decisions of the week. To come to a place where you decide that every day the Lord gets the first part of my day as I walk with him. Every day I will open up my heart and life to him as I open up the word of God. Every day, I will call upon his prayer and dependence and spend time with my Lord. It is a life-changing and course-altering decision when we commit ourselves to say, unless I am hindered by God, I will walk with my God. To commit to that. How about this one? To commit to faithful church attendance. I, I know it's Sunday night. I'm probably preaching to the choir a little bit. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says this. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. There's the call. The call to assemble ourselves together as, uh, and not forsake it as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the what approaching, the day approaching. I I think of this. You know, according to this verse, the assembling of ourselves together to do what we have done tonight becomes so much more important day after day after day. It is always important. But the closer we get to God, the more we need it. You know the word, that that Greek word that's used for assembling of ourselves together, or though it's used twice in that verse, but it's only used three times in your Bible. The other time outside of this time in Hebrews is 2 Thessalonians 2.1. Where it says this, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering, there's that word again, together unto him. That word that's used for assembling of ourselves together and that is only used three times. And one occasion, it's referring to what we are doing tonight. And the other occasion, it's referring to what we're going to do up there. 
One time he's talking about what you and I had the privilege of doing tonight as we assembled ourselves together and as a church family, corporately we gathered together and lifted our voices up and praised the God of heaven and sing about what he's done and what he's going to do as we give as he's given unto us and as we hear the preaching and the teaching of the word of God, as we provoke one another unto love and good works, as we are unwavering in our faith to the Lord and as we assemble together and he said, but there's another day coming That's a greater gathering, but that's when we are out of here. We're going to be out of here one day. That trumpet's going to sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Miss Jeanette Barfield, if you haven't heard, she's on hospice. Soon she'll be going home to be with her Lord. And one day, those of us who are behind, when that trumpet sounds, we're going up there too. The greatest gathering, the choir sang about it. We shall see what? Jesus. Do you know there's no greater gathering than that, ga- that gathering? But there's no greater gathering on this side of that one than this one. Amen. You know, we, there's some great gatherings in this world. Inaugurations of presidents. You might even call some sporting events and some things like that. But there are none greater and none more necessary than what you are doing tonight. It saddens me. When I see churches that are diminishing the gathering together. I'm going to tell you something. One time a week on Sunday morning is insufficient. It's just insufficient. I remember I was talking to someone and I was talking to them and they go, oh, how many, what, what, when do you guys have your services? And we have a Wednesday night service and we have a Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service, a Wednesday evening service. They go, oh, okay, okay. And they're all alike. It's like, no, they're, they're all different, all right? Different songs, different messages. I'm like, whoa. I just thought you had the same service every time. No. Because there's no better gathering than this gathering, that side of that one. And we need it. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Can I tell you a life-changing decision in your life is when you commit to faithful church attendance. Not just so that there can be someone in the pew, but we are needed. We need it, and it needs us. I was thinking that I, I, that verse, it says, uh, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting what? One another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's not just for the exhortation that we receive, but the exhortation that you offer. There is an exhortation that we receive, Right? From others, there is something that comes across the pulpit or across the Sunday school podium, but, but there is something, an exhortation, not only that we offer, but there is an exhortation that we give those around one, us as we provoke one another unto love and good works. What will happen when you are absent that, would, that God would say, I wish that person were there because so-and-so needed that encouraging word from them? It's not just what I'm missing out on, but it's what somebody is missing out when I am absent. The working of God, a commitment to the house of God, the things of God, the change in our life. I'm reminded of these verses when he talks about preaching. He says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ could be made of none effect. For the preaching of cross to them that that perish is foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, 
I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For after the wisdom of God, the, the, world, by, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. But I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We desperately need it. What trumps, friend, your faithfulness to this assembly or the assembling of yourselves together? I have five little ones. What will they see that trumps this most important of gatherings? There are inaugurations. There are ball games. There are family reunions. None of them probably bad in their own right, but none of them greater than this one. None of them more meaningful than this one. None of them more powerful than this gathering of ourselves together. I tell you, a decision that will change the course of your life is not only a commitment to surrender and a commitment to a daily walk with God, but it is a commitment to the house of God, making that decision that I will be faithful. I will be faithful. Unless I am providentially hindered or, look, there are, there are some things that, uh, look, I, I think of in law enforcement, bad people do bad things on Sunday, right? Aren't you glad there's some saved people out there getting in the way of bad people doing bad things on Sunday? There are some things that require it, but the reality is that unless we are hindered, we ought to have a commitment and a faithfulness to the house of God. Commitment, uh, committing ourselves, Lord, committing our, uh, to a walk with, daily walk with, Lord, committing to ourselves to a faithful church attendance. I watch and I look around our world and church after church that is eliminating its midweek service, its Sunday night service, and its people regulated to a Sunday morning service. And, and friend, last time I checked, this world is not waxing better and better. It is waxing worse and worse. It is not easier to live for the Lord in this world. It is harder to live for the Lord in this world. And it seems like so many times the worse this world gets, if we're not careful, it seems in so many places, in so many churches, the less they offer the people of God. There ought to be a commitment to a faithful church attendance before the Lord. One day we're going to see him face to face. And friend, it's not just a preparation for the great white throne judgment. It's a preparation for the judgment seat of God. God's people will stand there one day and be held accountable for how they live their life. And this place is meant to equip them for that day to stand before the Lord. I, that commitment to that. And here's one that steps on toes, but I think it is so important to our life. A commitment to giving. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up to yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your what be also? Your heart be also. 
I'm not preaching on just giving just because I think that the ministry must go forward or things of that nature. It is, if you will, from a material aspect, the means that God uses to forward his work on this earth. But there is a change that comes in one person's life when they make a commitment to give as God has given to them. There is a change. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Lord is reminding us that, friend, there, as I give my treasure, I give my heart. As I give, and, and not just my financial things that I have, but as I give my talents and my time and the blessings and my treasures to the Lord, that he gains my heart. I will tell you this, the things that you probably love the most are the things you have invested in the most. From finances to time to talents, as you pour yourself into them, they have your hearts. I've seen folks that hobbies have their heart. They have poured so much into their hobby. And there's nothing wrong with having a hobby. I, I think if you have one that gives you some, some you know, from refreshment from time to time, that's a good thing to have. But their hobby has their heart over their God having their heart. Their hobby has kept them from a walk with God. Their hobby has kept them from the house of God. Their, heart has kept, their hobby has kept them from giving to God. And in this passage of Scripture, the Lord reminds us, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I won't go into all of the things, but I think a, a giving of our tithe, our giving of our missions, a giving of alms, the Bible speaks of each of them, that God would have our heart. I think of this young people, one of the great decisions of your life will be that it's time you decide to be a giver to the work of God. Do you know the most, the least giving generation is the, the millennial generation and younger? The least giving, less inclined to give. To absorb and to take, but not give. Can I tell you, young person, be a giver. Mom and dad, teach your kids. My kids get their birthday money and things of that nature. And you know what I'm asking them? Did you set aside your giving? Did you set aside some savings? But did you set aside some giving? Missions conference came around. Hey, Lord, speak to your heart about giving to missions. Why? Not just so the work of God can go forward, though that's the way it's what God uses, but... I want God to have their heart. To have their heart. Our hearts are changed when we make a commitment to be a giver to God. To commit those things. It's, it's one of those decisions that change every aspect of our life. As I outline my budget, the first thing on the top of the budget after what comes in is my offering. Say, Lord, before I consider everything else, I want to consider what you've asked of me. Because I know this, that one settles all the others. But I want you to know, Lord, you are my first consideration in everything. To be a giver. A peculiar people, the world doesn't get it. They don't understand it, but the commitment to surrender ourselves, the commitment, if you will, to a daily walk with God, the commitment to faithful church attendance, the commitment to giving, the commitment to service. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cutting craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body 
body fitly joined together and compacted by which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The call that every member would have a place of service. Every church member has something to do for God. A commitment to service. Not to be a spectator. Not to be on the sidelines. But to be a servant of the Lord. You have a place of service. Where is your spot that if you're not there, there's a hole? Where is your spot? Where is your place of service? Where are you needed? Where are you serving God? There's a call. So, preacher, I'm not physically able. Can you pray? Can you encourage? Can you find something to do for the one who has done so much for you, a decision in our life that I will serve my God? Whether it's in the keeping of the, uh, whether it's in a, a maintenance position, a sound position, a nursery position, or running a bus route, or teaching a Sunday school class, or ushering out here and there, or being a greeter outside, but finding a place of service for the one who has done so much. I will tell you something, young person. When you commit to service... It's something that changes your life. Takes our eyes off ourself and onto the Savior. Uh, Christianity in the church is not meant to be a spectator. It's not meant to be just what we're doing here tonight, you there, me up here. It's meant to be us serving God together. Serving God. I think of what's happening tonight. Where are all the places? Someone has cleaned a building. Someone is manning a nursery. How needed that is. Got off track a few weeks ago, all right? Someone manning a nursery, a sound system, a greeter outside, a, a children's ministry over there, and all the different places, all that go into a decision that will be made and an altar at the end of the service. Serving God. Serving the Lord. I think of this parent. If your kid doesn't learn to serve God while he is young, don't be shocked when he does not serve God when he is old. To serve God. There is a call of service for the Lord and a commitment to service. And last thing I'll be finished with this is a commitment to soul winning. And I'm not just talking about the aspect of going, but being. Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 4. It says this, and Saul was consenting unto his death. That's Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then it says this, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women and committing them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Incredibly convicting passage because he says there, everybody, there were many scattered except for who? The apostles. They were still in Jerusalem. If you will, we would look at them as the pastors of the church. People were scattered everywhere. And yet those everyday laymen that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 20. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's everyone that knows Christ. Isn't that true? 
And then it says this, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled unto himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry, that's all that we're saved, the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, that's everyone that is saved, the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. The ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation, was committed unto everybody when you became a new creature. And he said, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. That wasn't just for the apostle, that was for every new, new child of God. Your first ministry. For me, May of 1995, Madera Baptist Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, as I bowed my head and trusted Christ, as I stepped up off of there, I already had a ministry. Ambassador of Jesus Christ, a word of reconciliation. Go tell somebody. Go tell somebody. Be a soul winner. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That early church, they had it. They were persecuted. They were scattered. But when they scattered, they went everywhere preaching the gospel. Not just from a pulpit friend, from their vocations, in their homes, with their loved ones and with their families. God called you. It is a life-changing thing when you recognize the call to be a soul winner. It changes everything about you. Friend, if, if you're going to share the gospel at work, you've got to have a testimony, don't you? Mm. It would be sad to be ashamed to share the gospel because of our testimony. It changes our life. A commitment to say, Lord... I want to find somebody to share the gospel with this week. I want to find someone to hand a gospel track to or talk to about their soul. I, I'm going to be on the lookout. You, you've called me to this task. That person that you put in front of me, you didn't put in front of me by accident. They need the Lord not just to go. Look, I'm all for scheduling it into your week and taking time to go knock on some doors. I'm a firm believer in that. I think you know that. But it is easier to go than to be a soul winner. It is easier to go than it is to be a soul winner. Say, I'm going to take the time out of my week and my schedule to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody in my life. Commitments. It'll change your family when they realize there's something we're here for other than us. Let's tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Commitments. A peculiar people. I think these things not only change the individual aspect of our life, but they change everything about our life. When you surrender your life to the Lord, just that reality of, Lord, whatever you have for me, that's what I want to do. Not just on the grand scale, but on the small decisions of life, what you have for me. A commitment to a daily walk with God. I think even when it comes to bearing a witness, you know, the greatest witness is the overflow witness. The one that just has to tell somebody because God has done something in their life and they got to share it. Commitment to a daily walk, a commitment to the house of God. Commit to it. Say, I'm going to be there unless God keeps me from being there. A commitment. 
to being a giver. It'll change your life. It'll make, it'll make fruit that abounds in your account that you won't even realize until you walk through the gates of glory. It'll change the condition of your heart. A commitment to service. To be a servant of God. A commitment to be a soul winner. Things that I tell you, Christian, if you settle them in your life and commit to them in your life, it will change your life. One day you will see your Lord and say, I am so glad that I made them in my life. We look at them sometimes and we allow things to shuffle them off our plate. Other things take priority. And yet if we keep those things at the forefront of our life, there's no question in my house. You say, preacher, you get paid to be there. Long before I was paid to be in church, I made a decision to make sure I was in church. Long before I was a preacher, I made a decision I would be faithful to his house. Long before anybody, God spoke to my heart about being a preacher, I made a decision at camp one year, I'm going to walk with God daily. And I have not been perfect, but I have strived to walk with God daily. Decisions that change your life to be a giver. I remember one missions conference, Brother Mike Cox was preaching and he talked to young people. I was a kid and he goes, some of you think you can't give anymore. I was a teenager. But you buy a pop a day. At that time, it was, a, it was a, like just over a buck, a buck nine, I think, something like that. Now it's like two, who knows what. He goes, you say you can't give, but you'll drink a pop a day, a soda, all right? A soda, Coke, whatever you want to call it, a day. He said, you'll spend 30, 40 bucks a month on a pop and give nothing to God for missions. And I was like, ooh. I said, okay, Lord, I'll give up my, it was a hard decision for me. I'll give up my pops, and I'll give. And next thing you know, I found out I could give and still drink pop. All right, that's what I found out. <laughs> to be a giver. To be a giver. To serve. I've had the incredible blessing of growing up in a home that even when I didn't want to, I was made to serve. And that's a blessing, young people. That's not a burden. If you were put in a home where you were made to serve, even when you didn't want to, that's not a, that's not a burden. That is the good and gracious hand of God in your life. You were put in a home where they made sure you were in church even when you didn't want to be. That is not a burden. That is the blessing of God that he puts you there. Because there are places in this world where they don't even have a church and don't even hear the gospel. Because I'm bitter at God because my parents made me go to church and serve. Friend, wait till you see Jesus, my friend. That is not going to be good. Be thankful. Commit to your service of God. Commit to giving. Commit to being a soul winner. Commit to walk with God. Commit to faithful church attendance. Commit to surrender to the Lord. I, I know this is, seems so baseline, but it is life-changing. It is life-changing. It changed the course of our life and lead us to a place of being pleasing in His sight and changing our homes and families. Dads, I said it last week about being a mighty man of God. There's some decisions mighty men make for their homes. Mighty men of God make for their homes. Even sometimes when their homes don't want to follow. I've seen some folks have such strong convictions when their kids are little. But their kids became teenagers. And they started pushing back. 
And all of a sudden, mom and dad, well, you know, I don't really know. Be a mighty man of God. Lead your home. And make decisions and say, I, these things are settled things. As young people, as Christians, these things are settled things. I will commit to them and not retreat from them in my service of God. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I love you and I thank you for the privilege of being in your house. And what I know tonight, very simple message and in some aspects, preaching probably to the choir, it's, it's Sunday night. Lord, but I know how easy it is in our life to take things that we once thought were settled and to move away from them. And I pray that tonight as you have spoken to our heart that we would first of all be surrendered. That first step, that heart of surrender, I think of how easy it is to surrender one time and take it back days and weeks later. later. I pray that as you've spoken to our heart tonight that we would surrender or that we would be committed to you and commit ourselves to the Lord, that we would commit our walk with God to the Lord, that we would commit a faithful church attendance to the Lord, we commit giving to the Lord and service for the Lord and soul winning for the Lord, that we would decide that we would be peculiar people and that a life that is clearly belonging to the Lord and not something that is belonging to the world. Heads bowed and eyes closed and just where you're at in your seat, let me ask you, I, how many of you could say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. That's a settled thing for me. I, I know it's Sunday night, but if that's your testimony, would you raise your hand and say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved. That's settled for me. Thank you. you may put your hand down. I, I didn't preach as much about it this evening in terms of salvation. I'll be in a Sunday night. But if you'd say, Preacher, when you just ask that question, I'm not even sure that I know him, but I want to know him. I wouldn't take for granted that you do. For me, I was a preacher's kid on Wednesday night that I came to know the Lord. I don't remember the message. I just know that God was convicting my heart. Maybe you say, Preacher, I'm unsure of my salvation, but I want it settled tonight. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? Let me ask you this, Christian. How many of you would say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart? Maybe it's this matter of surrender. Does God have your heart? I'm not asking you if you had a moment in your life when you surrendered. I would ask you, are you surrendered now? Maybe it's one of those other commitments to the Lord. And is your life committed to the Lord in these areas that I tell you will shape and change your life? You say, hey, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand just between you and I and the Lord? And Would you stand with me as the pianist begins to play, as God has spoken to your heart and his altar is open? And I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your life a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Why don't you take a moment and just say, Lord, I, I want you to know here I am. Here I am. Maybe it's a matter of surrender on one of those specifics, but... Maybe it's something else that God has spoken to your heart about. But as the pianist plays, as God has spoken to your heart, do business with him tonight.